everyone. How are you doing? Meryl Barr here, host of Word Tetris. Um, as you know, my usual method is 20 minutes free, rest of it on Patreon, some of it just on Patreon the whole night. But you know, it's the holiday season. Thought it'd be nice to give you guys a nice little treat. So this special episode with Justin Robert Young, host of Raise the Dead, is going to be available for free for everyone. Just download it, enjoy it. Just promise me that after you listen to the episode, you go listen to Justin's podcast, Raise the Dead. It's fantastic. But, you know, I figured something good, something nice, nice little treat. Uh, if you're coming up on the holidays, you got holiday travel coming up, maybe, you know, save it for the plane ride, save it for that car drive, save it when you just got nothing to do, or just listen to it now. Whatever whatever you're fancy, whatever tickles the fancy. I just want to do something nice. So th- thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. <laughs> Justin Robert Young, welcome to Word Tetris. How are you, sir? Dude, very, very excited to be here. Uh, you have done the impossible and created another podcast I feel like I have to listen to. <laughs> because I this was the year where I cut a lot from the library this year. Like it was just like Oh, noticed, really? You know, what happened was I was like I listen I was listening to a lot of never ending shows, right? A lot Yeah, of- those those stack up. Like whenever you get into a daily show specifically and God help you if you get into a radio show where they're doing like three hours. I can't. Remember yeah. when Kevin Smith tried to start a radio channel, like an internet radio channel, and he was doing four hour shows like Stern, but the fans came after him. He was like, they were like, dude, it's too long. He was like, don't listen. And it's like, that's not how this works. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to yeah. listen, dude. <laughs> Wait, that was, and that was pre Smodcast, right? No, that, that was, no, no, no. That was when he was in his post cop out. Hayes, Post Zack and Miri. Oh no! Crashed and that, by the way, is one of the most canonical podcasts for me of all time. <laughs> the, like Smodcast? The no, the Zack and Miri. Oh yes, episode yes. of Smodcast, <laughs> where like I, I don't know if there's a better expression of what creativity and show business is than yes. that podcast. It is like it put it in the Smithsonian. If I ever met Kevin Smith, I feel like this would be the only thing I'd want to talk to him about because are those it, two episodes? <laughs> well, yeah, well just cuz I remember I was a huge diehard fan of the show and I was excited for Zach and Mary and it was really like just this this moment where even beyond, you know, what he eventually kind of talked about it he there was even in the moment the sense of like, oh God, this Judd Apatow stuff like really was the the like you know took a style that I pioneered and made money on it. Well, now guess what? Like now it's my turn. I get all these famous actors that got famous off this. Can't miss. I'm gonna bring my friends. I'm gonna adapt it for the widest possible audience. And they're so excited and they're talking about how the next episode of Smodcast is gonna be uh, uh, them doing commentary tracks and everything. And they're so thrilled about how this is their big break and they're gonna make a hundred million dollars on a movie. And then there was nothing for yeah. months. <laughs> and it's like that was that was one of those I, I was I was but a 
a, a, a young podcaster at that point, and I had never really been in situations where, like I'd been through some development stuff with TV, but uh, never anything that I'd put my heart and soul into, and then I floated out into the pond of humanity, and then it comically and immediately sunk to the bottom, and that was like, whenever subsequently that I had those situations... I just always thought back to that episode of Smodcast. <laughs> you can always fall flat real hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and be careful about how you talk about stuff. But also, it is an expression of why Kevin Smith is so amazing because yes. he is – oh, he was honest then. And then when he came back, he was honest. I feel like there's three Kevin Smiths. There's Kevin Smith up through Zach and Miri. And that's when he starts smoking a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then there's – from that moment – to the heart attack that's the second wave and now we're in this third kevin smith that's like the best of all worlds kevin smith i like that one you know i would i would even uh, draw a line a little bit earlier because there's the kevin smith that's a contemporary of like quentin tarantino and robert rodriguez through miramax Right. right, which right. now obviously you have a complicated <laughs> origin yeah. story because of uh, the Weinstein brothers, but you know there's there's that where he's just like, okay, we have our uh, uh, you know Roman Polanski and Tarantino, we have our uh, uh, oh, uh, God damn it, what Avatar uh, James um, Cameron, we have our James Cameron, and Robert James Rodriguez, right, I'll go with it. yeah, I'll go with uh, that. and then we have our Woody Allen in Kevin Smith, right? And yeah. these are the young Turks, the new movie makers that are doing things that are different and amazing. And obviously, life goes its own directions, and these comps might not hold. But certainly in the '90s, that was the idea. And then the thing that made Kevin Smith special was those stand, those like Q and As that turned into stand up specials. Basically. And he became a stand-up comedian, basically. Yeah. And it was like, then you realize that to me was a very important turning point, not only for Kevin Smith, but also for the internet. That it's like, oh no, the internet gathering these fans has made public figures something that they never could be before. Which is just like, yeah, I just want to buy a ticket to be near you. Right. I just want to talk to you. And when you're uh, an extraordinary wordsmith like Kevin Smith is that can elevate itself to art. Uh, and that's why I think when he goes back to do Zach and Miri, that was the universe telling him like, no, 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 no. You can't go back and be Judd Apatow. The, the, the time for you to be Judd Apatow was before. Right. You, you, you can't go back there, Charlie. Like, and, and then everything else that happens from there with the podcast and uh, everything like that, I think it, you totally nailed. But I do think that that was a huge part of, you know, not only him, but also the internet. Speaking of evolution, <laughs> Justin, yeah, young, yeah. You, you made a podcast. You made I a have. podcast, and this is probably the next step in your evolution is this podcast, I think yes. you say, correct? I okay, think so, so, yeah. And you may think that that was all bullshit, but I'm telling you right now that I'm going to find a way to tie this back in. So, <laughs> before we move forward, quickly pitch the podcast to everyone. All right, it's called Raise the Dead. It's a six-part podcast that tracks the 1960 election. Now, you might say, 
Who cares about history? Who cares about the 1960 election? And you might even forget the fact that the 1960 election was between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. I don't know. Have you heard of them? Probably. They're two of the most famous names in American political history. And a lot of people don't even know that they ran against each other in this election before, obviously, Kennedy is dealing with the, uh, you know, has the horrifying Kennedy assassination happen in 1963 and long before the Nixon Watergate scandal. What you also don't know, because you don't know all this story that happens in 1960, is how closely it parallels 2016, something that everyone knows everything about right now. And so what Raise the Dead does is tell this narrative story uh, while pointing out how if we would have remembered these lessons, if we would have known these lessons, then we would have not been shocked by Donald Trump beating Hillary Clinton. Which is a hell of a premise to <laughs> pitch a podcast on, and definitely going to piss some people off in the process. You know, I, I've I've been I've been surprised that I've not yet gotten, and I think this is probably because the initial it only came out yesterday, so the initial wave has really just been my fans and people that are that my fans and like I'm you know uh, Bieber or whatever, but like people that know me. Uh, as we get further outside, money, there is an instance of fandom here. Yeah, if <laughs> as this gets further out into the world, uh, there will be more anger, and I'm yes, ready for yes. it. But uh, I I feel like the work stands up for itself. This is so we were talking about Kevin Smith and his moments of realization and evolution. Where I want to start here is where did this begin? Did you begin with the comparison premise, or did you just begin with I want to do a history lesson on 1960? So I've loved the 1960 conspiracy uh, forever. And and that is that the 1960 election, which was extraordinarily close, it's like literally 59% to 59% in terms of the uh, popular vote. And by the Electoral College, there are like a few key states that are within thousands of votes that could have changed the, the outcome. And that's not unlike 2016, but that... In 1960, specifically in Chicago, that the mob, the Chicago mob, by way of Frank Sinatra, tilted the election for Kennedy. And I love the conspiracy so much because I've never, in all of my years since I've learned about it, I've never really been able to think of a comparison to modern times. Like, now it would be, you know, Donald Trump by way of Justin Bieber got MS-13 to <laughs> alter the vote, right? Like <laughs> That's a that's a word salad. Oh, it's a modern-day word salad of the likes of which no one's ever heard before. Yeah, but I, I've, I've loved that forever. Uh, and, and so I kind of wanted – that was the initial idea. So you wanted like, to cover the 1960 conspiracy. The, 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 the conspiracy there. And then that wound up uh, – you know, you can't just tell that part, right? You you need to tell the fuller, uh, the fuller idea. And I was as I was writing it initially, and writing it went through a lot of different phases. I want to I want to stop you there for a minute. Sure, go ahead. Um, the act of writing a podcast. Yeah, this is a new medium. It's still yeah. it's still a very 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 new medium, despite the fact that it feels like it's not at this point. I mean, it's, but it's only because it's only like what fifteen years old. Thereabouts. Yeah. Um, baby. B- child. Ba- child medium. 
and th- no one really knows like you're the thing about raise the dead from the episode i heard so far very heavily scripted it's like yeah. you t- it's like you took the research and you condensed it into what i would basically feels like it was an essay and then you took the essay and you you jazzed up the essay into your narration yeah how do you go about taking all of the knowledge and condensing it into the cliff notes that become your narration for the podcast. So a lot of revisions is is kind of the short answer. This and is a podcast about rewriting. Tell us yeah, through it. Absolutely. So uh, initially, the idea was for me to just sort of have bullet points and then read it in my natural cadence and then kind of edit things down. I quickly realized that that was not going to produce uh, the the end result that I wanted, which as I got further into it and I realized that there are a lot of like very cinematic pieces to this. And and uh, it's at this point that I'm going to shout out some of the uh, episodes or some of the podcasts that really inspired me. I would, uh, by the way, I would recommend if you haven't yet, to pause this if you haven't go listen to race dead come back because this is a this is a after post episode one like sure yeah like i want you to i want you guys to hear what justin came up with and come back because these cinematic points you're talking about like in episode one the moment where you are running through the red herring of kennedy is in a plane and he's in the first drone strike and then the and then the plane blows up and you're like what the fuck and you go oh it was his older brother yeah oh shit um like that I feel like that doesn't happen if you're going off the cuff. You need to find No, no, no. And and in fact, that scene initially opened the entire podcast. Um and then I moved it for a, a couple reasons, but uh, uh but initially what I wanted to do was to begin and end I wanted to have it be kind of like a Marvel movie. I wanted to open with an action sequence. I wanted to end with a a after the credits Marvel stinger, right? right. And that was partly because two of the podcasts that really inspired me were Hardcore History, which if you've never listened to Hardcore History, then please do it. And uh, to me, when we talk about podcasting being an infantile medium, if you listen to a lot of the top podcasts, and God damn it, are they great, but they're – a lot of them, they're the sons of of Ira, right? They are they are a radio lab inspired in their narration in their persona and that's awesome it's obviously a formula that is great but it's from radio and dan carlin specifically is somebody that i identify as like that is internet that's some stuff that doesn't exist anywhere on the planet a four hour no music no archival sound just dan carlin just doing his very dan carlin narration (laughs) bringing you in like, that is something that's amazing, mind-blowing, great, right? The other one is Cocaine and Rhinestones. And Cocaine and Rhinestones was something that really, really mattered to me because I don't give a rat's ass about country music except for, like, past 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm drinking and it speaks to my soul. But beyond that, I don't know anything about the history of uh, country music. And Cocaine and Rhinestones is an amazing uh, podcast that brings you into those cinematic moments. It feels like a country music biopic. So I knew for this, I needed to make it, I needed to make you feel it yeah. because that is something that I think the the NPR style, the This American Lifestyle does in different ways. It 
like the 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 narration there is very passive. It's very to the point where it's almost a trope now that the beginning of the the story is the narrator explaining how much they don't care about the story so you can walk through them as they're like, wow, oh my God, I'm talking, right. I can't believe this thing is happening. Aren't we all experiencing it together? How do you Which, feel about, how do you feel about the one-to-one comparison that, because the closest thing anyone's going to compare this to is serial, right? Historical serial. So where do you fall on like comparing this to the style of serial? Uh, so I, I love, uh, to me, the thing that made serial pop for me in season one specifically, and I think they've kind of lost it with the other two, mm-hmm is the 90s. We get this dual narrative that is extraordinarily cinematic of our main characters in the 90s, you know, lovelorn teenagers going through teenager stuff. Casey and JoJo are playing in the background. We're talking about prom and hanging out after school and strict parents. And then this tragic modern narrative of... Oh my God, there's a murder. This sweet person who I'm, I have these judgments and feelings about died. And this other person that I feel like is a good guy, uh, but maybe has a bit of an anger problem and a dark side. Oh my God, could he possibly do this? So that element, I very much believe, uh, I, I want to evoke. And, and I think that that's, it is a part where I think, uh, serial's kind of gone away from that because for, for them, them and their brand and, Jesus, they certainly can do whatever the hell they want with it. They understood their brand to be, no, we're about journalism. We're about finding the journalistic stories uh, that- I don't, And I don't think that's, I mean, what, it's funny as you talk about the cinematic element, I argue the second season far more cinematic than the first to the point where they were using the research from the movie that was going to be made out of that guy. Yeah, Bo, Bo Bergdahl. Bo yeah. Bergdahl. Um, they were good. They were using the guy, the guy who was writing the movie. They were using his research. Yeah, and they had partnered with him for that. And I felt like the season that season was much more interesting and enjoyable to me because it was that cinematic presence. Back to Raise the Dead, that gives me that same sense where I don't like history. Yeah, <laughs> right. This we were talking about in the pre-show talking about the dollop, right? Yeah, and uh, the dollop is a great uh, way into history. I feel like. Because you have the two sides. You have the guy who knows the story, and you have the guy who's reacting to the story. And the guy who's reacting to the story is like, what the fuck? Gareth, every episode says, what the fuck is this? What the fuck, dude? And that's a that having that avatar of a reaction right so that makes it that jazzes up makes it interesting and with with things like this you have to make them interesting i hate i'm not a period i hate a strong word i'm not a period piece, <laughs> i'm not a period piece guy though so in this case we are 60 years removed from the 1960 election yep uh but the way you present it is in this very dramatic like i can see the tv show in my head yeah way and I I'm I'm I marvel at the magic trick that you pulled off. Well, like, I I think, but part of it is an indictment of how we think about history, and we make history very bloodless. Uh, we 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 make history very much about uh, you know, like like those those sections of the Old Testament where it's just like like and Job begat uh, Jalah and Jalah begat whoever, right? Like right. It, it just becomes this chain of it's events. Statement, statement, it becomes a statement of fact. In yeah. And, and I mean, Christ, when you're talking about the Kennedys and, and, and Richard Nixon, 
these are fascinating people. Yes. You know, and and again, if, if if you're listening to this after the first episode, John F. Kennedy was never supposed to be John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was supposed to be Bobby. Bobby was supposed to be Ted. Ted was supposed to be, I don't know, farting around, doing nothing. <laughs> like, there was no... Uh, uh, you know, the Joe Kennedy is a fascinating character and and kind of plays this behind the scenes sort of villain role in our does, story. Does Joe come back? So Joe comes back in the next few episodes as well? Joe is omnipresent. Okay. And and there so is there is there is a line there is a line that I don't know if I left in, but uh uh the the, the phrase because he was a friend of his father is maybe the like catchphrase of the entire series. Okay, to me that right there. See again, back to like I can see TV show in my head. I can imagine just the the omnipresent character of Joe Kennedy throughout the six episodes, just in the back, like the the the, the emperor, right? The the emperor on the starship, yeah, puppeting Darth Vader through. Which I again, it's like I'm not trying to say that John F. Kennedy is Darth Vader, but you kind of make the case that John F. Kennedy might be a little <laughs> Darth Vadery. Well, and 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 I think the 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 thing here is I am not here to denigrate the Kennedys. Right. I'm here to paint a realistic portrait of the Kennedys. Because that is so much more fascinating than it's the just, dumb- it's, also, it's also just like, oh, I haven't heard that take. Yeah. Basically, and you say it in the show, I have not heard the the take on the Kennedys that isn't a myth-building take. Yeah, yeah. Right? That isn't divorced of the concept of this great man who was taken from us too soon. You say in the in the show, like, how would we feel about Kennedy's presidency? If he wasn't assassinated. Yeah. You know, there was, there was a, uh, uh, in one of the chat rooms that while I was plugging the show, somebody was like, I was talking about the comparisons of Trump and Kennedy. And uh, somebody said, oh, well, when did Kennedy put kids in cages? And I was like, I mean, he did start Vietnam. Like, and if we're like, yes. if we're, if, if we're going to compare kind of like apples to oranges, I don't know, you know, like, and obviously. Is the, and was the Cuban Missile Crisis good? diplomacy or was it really like last minute luck well yeah i mean i think that that there is a lot that can if we realistically look at the kennedy presidency there's a more fascinating interesting portrait there and and again the point here is not judgment the point here is humanity these were real people these were not gods and uh it that's something that i very much believe in and that kind of comes from my background as a journalist is all the people that I met and covered, even in small town journalism, were so much more fascinating than what they put out on their campaign poster. And I think that so much of our history has kind of become the campaign poster. All right. So where in the process do you go from, I want to do the 1960 conspiracy to I want to do the 1960 election to, holy shit, I think I've just stumbled on the fact that Kennedy might be Trump. Like, well, where, where does that happen in the process? So as I'm writing, I am working with a friend of mine, Tamar, who I credit as my senior strategist in the, uh, in the, in, in the series. And I just keep bringing up these parallels, like just, oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's actually kind of like Trump and this is kind of like Trump and this is kind of like Trump and then Nixon, you know, this is kind of like Clinton. Like, it's kind of weird that they did this, this kind of way. Uh, and she's like, why don't you write that in? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's not really, I don't know. It's just kind of like my thought. And she was like, you know, a lot more people are going to listen to this if it has a modern hook. And the more I thought about it, the more she was right. And, and it changed the project forever. 
So did you have to start from scratch and then build it from the place of, okay, now I'm making a counterintuitive case that turns out is very accurate, but I need to get people. So did you have to start over and go page one? Now I know what this is. Now I can, now yes. I know what I'm writing to. Yes and no. Uh, they, they did eventually totally evolve, but that also came with me rewriting everything over and over and over anyway. Uh, it was around that time that I started part of the, the reason why I did this project was because I'm like, I want a project that sounds because everything that else that I've done is live to tape, basically. Like right. it is all in the style of talk radio. And I really wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something that that uh, could get out to a larger audience and wasn't just about me doing a monologue for an hour. Uh, although I guess that's what I did. But uh, anyway, I wanted to do something in a different form. No, you didn't do a monologue. You you you, you did a play. Sure, exactly. Basically All right, so it's, I, yeah, I did a play. So it's at that time that I reached out to a friend of mine who I've actually known since college that edits the show Slow Burn. And uh, we were actually at a wedding together. <laughs> we were both best men for another friend of ours. And I'm like, hey, I'm working on this thing and I kind of really want to bring on an editor. Would you know anybody? Because I don't know anybody else who's a professional podcaster, uh, editor. Uh, would you know anybody that would freelance to help to work on this project? And he hooked me up with a fantastic woman by the name of Nina Ernst, who has edited 30 for 30s. And she did a great, when I was first talking with her, she had just wrapped up a thing about the Ruby Ridge uh, uh, incident, which okay. I thought was awesome for Slate. And so she actually, that she was working with her was a huge thing because firstly, I realized I didn't even know what to ask of her. Like I, I've, I've been so in my own bubble doing my own DIY thing that she would be asking me questions like, Hey, all right. So what kind of, um, licensing are you thinking about going with? Or like how, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, 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 audio library are you working with? And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, lady. Uh, you know, I, like, I, I figure I'm just going to rip stuff off YouTube and wait for someone to yell at me. Yeah. Uh, yep. And, and also I'm just gonna, you know, use music that I want. And she's like, oh, geez, okay. And so uh, the one thing that she absolutely helped me with was she looked at the scripts that I had written. And the scripts that I had written were all uh, kind of individual stories. I had one story about the Kennedys, or one story about Joe Kennedy, one story about Jack Kennedy, one story about Nixon, one story about the mob, one so story about really Frank about, Sinatra. So you, so you were writing almost at the, the antho an anthology show wrapped, yes. around with the, wrapped around the 1960 election. Yeah. And every episode covered the different figure. I can see how that doesn't work. No, and it didn't. <laughs> and she's like, like, hey, I, there's a lot of good stuff in here, but why don't you tell this chronologically? Because it makes a lot more sense if you tell it chronologically. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So... It's at that point I started writing. She wound up uh, working on other amazing things, I'm sure. And so uh, uh, I also realized that I just had to do this myself. Yes. Uh, like I didn't know what – if I didn't know what to ask of like – you know, I, I didn't know how to drive this Maserati that a, a friend of mine had put me in touch with, right? Uh, this is like <laughs> the top of the industry. I needed to learn how to drive before I could even work with anybody like that. And so that was the process. And so as now I'm looking at things as an editor and a writer and a performer, uh, that's where everything sort of came together. And so luckily the realization about the modern stuff came as I was doing that. And that's really where the format of the show began, the, the format that you hear now, which is like 
open with the big comparison, tell the story of 1960, and then at one or two points during the story, pop back out to the modern era and just highlight this is what we're talking about. It's almost like I can imagine if I'm, you know, if I'm picturing the TV version in my head, if I was doing a one to one TV adaptation of the show, which you wouldn't actually do, but if you were, you're almost like the Rod Sterling of the story where you start with the modern and then we we flash back to the story of the Kennedys, the Kennedy and Nixon election. And then all of a sudden you pop back in, you're like, by the way, remember this? And you show a news clip of 2016 and you go back to the story. Like, yeah, I can imagine it. I could just see it all in my head in this way. That's so engaging. And I, I'm <laughs> so, you. I'm so fascinated. I was, I, cause I've, I've been curious about the podcast medium. I've been, I've been exploring other mediums uh, as time has gone on with this show. And podcasting is one of the means I have not explored yet. The narrative podcasting rather. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's so, it's so new that really there are no rules. We're in, we're, when we talk, when we talk about how the infancy of podcasting, podcasting is an infant. Narrative podcasting is a, is like a, it hasn't even birthed yet. Like it's yeah. still the, em- yeah. it's still an embryo. And by the way, we're going to, we're going to look back at this phase, specifically true crime, in my opinion, and just be like, what in the hell yes. were we doing? Yes. Like how were we like just freewheeling, libeling people? <laughs> like just, yes. just insane. I have this theory why it's true crime specifically, and it's that it's it's got a built-in narrative hook, right? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it, it's it's a brilliant medium. I think people are doing great work, but much in the same way that we look back at old tweets and say, oh, geez, that's crazy. Why did I say that publicly on the internet? Right. <laughs> like, I didn't know, I guess I didn't know people were listening, and, and that's where we are right now with podcasting, where... There's a lot of spaghetti flying against the wall, and and and, and the stuff that sticks is is interesting. Well, what we're now what we're seeing is with the movement into narrative podcasting overall is we're starting to grow beyond true crime, and technically, you fall Raise the Dead falls into a true crime esque like classification, but not I wouldn't I wouldn't classify. <laughs> I don't true know. Crime. It's kind of anti true crime because I take the most famous murder in history and completely <laughs> avoid it. <laughs> but. But it's got it, you. You took something and involved it, right? Whereas, like you said, I'm I'm gonna take something dry as a bone, and yeah. I'm gonna throw it into. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna take an overcooked steak. I'm gonna throw it into a pot of chili and just cook that down. It's a quote uh, an episode of the Modern Rogue. I'm gonna cook that down to into tender submission. Like <laughs> you made, you took this overcooked steak. We everyone knows the 1960 election, right? Right? Yeah. Oh shit, we don't. Oh, let's let's fucking let's let's take let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's fix that. So when did you know? Because I think I think about the aha moment, right? In scripts, I have it all the time when I'm writing new pilots. I'll write a thing. I'll be writing a thing. I'll be writing a thing. And then one day, either through someone's action or most of the time, actually through a line dialogue, I go, that's what this is about. Yeah. Now and now you write, and then suddenly you're like, oh well, let's write towards that. That's oh, now that I know what I'm writing towards and how to shape this into and in what context and what the the grander messages are. Now I know what I'm doing. So first of all, how was that? Did you talk about that that friend who told you, hey, you should make this more yeah, vague yeah, comparison? Yeah, yeah. Did was that? Did did you have a gradual aha moment, or did you have one day where you went, "Oh fuck, that's what it is"? You want you want to know what it was here, yes. and this is about the podcast medium. It wasn't until I started listening to the audio that I could realize it. That you like were, I that could record it. Yeah, that I could that I could like 
rewrite these scripts over and over and over again until I got them to a point where I really liked them. And then I would record them. And I had this kind of rough phase where I was like, this sounds like shit. This is a bad podcast. I'm like fading out on my own stuff. Like, and not because I've heard it, but because it's boring. Right. And it, it the, the aha moment was being like, okay, no, no, no. And this is where in the later episodes, things kind of clicked a lot more and a lot faster because I would just read out these scripts, minimal audio, uh, almost no archival stuff, unless it was like super important to the story. And then I would just listen to it, right? So this would kind of be like my version of a screenwriter uh, doing like the George Lucas, just pound out that first draft ASAP and then figure out what you have. Right. But for me, it was I had to listen to it. And then the only question I had was, what is this about? That was the big thing, is that once I have this big, unformed ball of clay in front of me, I was like, what is this about? And and the probably the biggest one that was the aha moment is episode four, I believe. That is the the the, the Democratic convention in Los Angeles. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's just so much pedantic like this is how you this is how the process goes because the way that you get the nomination in 1960 is very different and to be totally honest as a listener you only really care as much as it takes for our characters to be affected by it uh so i'm like ah man i just don't know what to do with that like and then i it clicked i'm like this is a fight this is a big fight so i want to explain this in the same way that if no, if you had never seen a boxing match before, right? Like you, you just came from a country where boxing wasn't a thing, right. and then you get dropped in, and it's Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. There's gonna be the music. There's gonna be the announcer. He's gonna let you know where you are. He's gonna explain who the combat, the the, the combatants are, and then he's gonna explain. You know, this is gonna be five rounds, a three knockdown rule, a, a, a three minute rounds. And here's your referee. Let's go. And it's like, okay. So I took that and that was a, a huge turning point where I was like, oh, okay, this is how I can explain this. This is how I can bring this in and I can make it exciting and glamorous and, and fun. Did that caused you to go backwards and redo the first? Oh, yeah. Um, you said that so, was episode four. So, the so first yeah. Three. So, no, no, no. Uh, well, I did wind up re-recording the earlier ones, but that was more for tone. I, as I got my voice, the right. voice that I really liked, uh, I the first episodes just didn't click on that, and so I was just I had to go back and re-record them anyway. Um, but but in in general, those were the first. That was the first time that I actually was like, oh no, this is the process, and I and I'm I'm, ha- I'm running my head against the wall trying to make it perfect on the page when it's never going to be perfect on the page. It's got to be perfect in the ear. And I can't even begin to sniff out exactly what that is until I listen to it. Did this require you to sort of learn about what you what your limitations were as a performer? Because I imagine, like I know when, like I took on a, I took on a script that I still don't, I still don't say what it was because I expect an IP like a dumbass. But it's the script, that <laughs> but it's the script that everyone loves, right? It's yeah, the script I wrote that and I send that around. And everyone's like, holy fuck. But um, I, I, I adapted an IP, and 
it's a, it was a stretch for me because it's not the kind of thing I write. It was a big, I don't do big. It yeah. was a big thing. I like, I do, I do fast. I do action, but I don't go big, prem, big, you yeah. know, genre world building premises are not my cup of tea, but I went with that in this case and I ran up against my own limitations, uh, hardcore and had to like really reconcile that before i could move there's a reason it took me three years from the moment i watched the movie i based it on to the thing the thing i wrote this yeah. three-year gap and there's a three-year gap because for three years i could not wrap my brain around how the fuck do i even do this yeah so for you did you run up against your own limitation in this thing oh god yeah i mean from the point where i started researching it was really two years um and and realizing and that was when you were researching for the conspiracy sure it was it was all the same books right you know uh and really at the even at the point where i started writing stuff with the conspiracy in mind you still have to explain the premise so you're you're really i'm really kind of doing all the same stuff right uh the 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 biggest thing is i i mean jesus i i ran against uh, up against so many of my own limits throughout the entire process from from a production standpoint most of all That's i guess that the was one that wows me is yeah. i i'm friends with a a guy who's big a big radio guy he writes for the biggest radio trade the name of the trade escapes me he's a he's a radio vet right sure and i yeah. asked i mean I've, we talk we talk about this particular topic all the time which is dude i don't think i think the technology we have is at a place now where you can make a radio quality production, you know, at home on less than $2,000 of equipment or less, um, you know, maybe under $1,000 in equipment. Uh, and he goes, I don't know. I don't think we're there yet. I, I, and I argue Raise the Dead might be my ultimate case for uh, building, building out a serial level polished thing with, bare bones resources well that that means that means a lot uh, uh that you would even put it in that class well because but... it's it, you don't because when it comes to radio and you know i can understand how visually right if this is a visual medium you could see you know where you someone runs up against budget but microphones are at a price point now and and software is at a price point now where what you what do you need and what do you really not need and if you're in your case you know you've turned your light you make your bones as a as a streamer right yeah as a broadcaster, yeah, podcaster, so you, yeah yeah is a podcaster so you've now built a certain level of you built, you know you built out a studio but you built the studio over years off nothing you went from yeah. nothing to a studio and so yeah. you you could record clean voiceover and stuff and so the part that i i think correct me if i'm wrong the the part i imagine you ran into most was trying to figure out how to technically create a narrative concept in the edit right really figure out how like where's the archival go <laughs> i mean where does the music go what's the right moment you know to be totally honest the biggest thing was just learning how these goddamn programs work like you know <laughs> it, it was a lot more elementary than that uh i i didn't know anything Really? I mean, I didn't know how to make good sounding audio. I didn't know how to get the, the background noise out. I didn't know uh, uh, how to pull in uh, archival stuff at all. And uh, it was this was really like a zero 
a, a zero to a hundred process where trial by fire, real trial. Yeah, and 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 the big thing I think for me in terms of the moments, though that kind of stuff, I feel like I've spent ten years learning. Yes, um, you know, so I mean, that's yeah, where, yeah, you and I start. It sounds I feel like you. And, when did you start? Two thousand nine, two thousand eight. Yeah, maybe even more than that. Actually, I okay. would probably say it was pre iPhone, so that's oh seven. I did my I, think, fir- I did my first in oh six, but that was that was only like six episodes. I did my first first, what I consider my you know what I consider my seven because Fincher doesn't count Alien three. Uh, <laughs> what I consider my seven um, uh, was in oh nine, uh, so I'm ten years in to the month no i i did my first podcast in 05 the year that apple added uh podcasting to itunes okay uh now those were the little things that have uh, since gone away yes. right uh yeah things but, magically vanished not that i want anyone to not that I, of course i'd let everyone hear them if they existed but to be honest i still would like i'd like to hear some of this stuff i, I kind of wish i had my 06 ones i don't they they just they went away with hard drives well the, like, problem, the problem is is the ones i initially did in 06 were comedy ones that some of the writing i'd be curious to read or to hear how much they hold up uh because that was at the point that i was doing comedy professionally so i was writing a lot of comedy uh but but yeah. Anyway, so that you, that's how long. And the, again, yeah, the point, the reason I wanted to go off on that tangent quickly is: Do you think this is something you could only have done now? Like you couldn't have done this five years ago. You know, you could certainly couldn't have done it ten years ago. You you could only have done this when you were at this point in your in your career. Of- I yeah. I don't. I don't know. I I have a very kind of like. Um. I have a very in like my my self confidence is very bipolar, <laughs> like you know. So I I have these like swings of like, oh shucks, little old me, I don't know, I'm just a poor Florida boy. Uh, but but then sometimes I I also have this very irrational arrogance of. Like, no, screw it. Like, five years ago? Hell yeah, I could have done it five years ago. The only thing that was standing in my way was me. Uh, but, uh, truthfully, I don't know if I could have done it without Adobe Audition. Adobe Audition was a huge part of this process. Uh, and also the documentation on Adobe Audition. So, I think that that was a huge thing. And also, to be honest, this show could not have been made without YouTube. YouTube being just this instant repository for archival sound is just invaluable okay so you've now gone through the process of i know what this is i am editing to that i am writing to that at what point do you decide okay i am ready to now set a hard date i'm confident in what i have now that i'm ready to commit to what so ended up being december what was yesterday december third third so I'm committing to December third. Which, 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 by the way, was December fifth, and then I screwed up and announced the wrong date, so I had to bump it up two days. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing would make difference. You would wait two extra days to uh, submit the iTunes feed. Apparently, exactly. I know. Uh, yeah. Um. So what? So where? At what point did you? Where did your? Where did you finally find the confidence to go? I am ready to for people to. I'm ready to set a date for myself because we all work we all work best with deadlines. Yeah. So when were you ready? To, when did you feel like I'm ready to set that deadline and start working towards that moment? I got a whiteboard. Okay. 
it's really kind of no more complicated than that. <laughs> I got a whiteboard and I'm like, well, what am I going to put on this whiteboard? Let me just put on all the things that I need to know. And so there's like a, a, a daily thing that I need to do. There's like a, a, a brick of all the PX3, the, my politics podcast. So I can just, whenever I, whenever I have an idea, instead of putting it in some digital thing, I can just put it on this board that I'm always looking at. Uh, and then the other thing was like, all right, well, the biggest project that I got to keep a handle on is Raise the Dead. And so the first thing I did was just say, all right, we're going to set a date. It's close enough now. Uh, and I think at that point I had probably four episodes recorded. They all needed to be re-recorded. Uh, I had sent out a beta episode to a bunch of friends and many of which had nice things to say. Uh, my, my co-host on Night Attack, Brian Brushwood, uh, had to give me a little tough love in terms of uh, the fact that my production was not where it needed to be. Um, and and then I, I kind of went into a little bit of a shell for about a month. And then past that, I got the whiteboard. And it was probably about three months that I finished it. Did you know at that point, like what point did you go? December 3rd. Like what point did you, or December 5th when you finished Oh, I, uh, that was me totally planning things around the launch. I'm very much of the belief, for, at least for me, that the times that I've gotten into shows like this have been November, December. Uh, and so, so you I just looked always at, knew it had it was going to be a December release. You just didn't know what year necessarily. It was no, I knew it was going to be this year. It was okay. just, it was just I got to get off my ass and do it. You know, right. like I I know how much time I spend on Reddit. Uh, uh, we, <laughs> there's I can't keep secrets from how the boss. So if so, we're recording this December 2019. At what point were you? confident of i know everything i need to know i know what this is the scripts are written i just have to hunker down and do it when was that point when was the point you went from i don't know if i can do this to i know i can do this i just have to get it done where is that line of demarcation happening that it was really throwing my head over the wall on the date okay. like i i just knew that i had it wasn't impossible i knew it was possible for me to say and then of course when when you're setting a date like two and a half months in advance, you're like, I've got all the time in the world. Like two and a half months. What a luxurious uh, time. And and then of course, you know, uh, uh, you have to do everything else that you need to do in life. And you realize how little time in the day you actually have. Uh, but that was, I, I don't know. I, I guess for me, you know, I, I, I got my degree and my initial pursuit as a career was as a journalist. And that's, Deadline driven. There is no level of work ethic that can match, you know, having to look, you know, your editor in the eye and say it's not there and then say, yeah, it is. Do it. Do you think this would have been different if you had done it? Like if this is the thing, if this was the thing you had pitched and then done it at like a Wondery or an yeah. NPR, like would this be a different thing? It had to be produced the way it was produced. I think it would have been more like other things that are successful, right. which is just the way that every show business goes. Whenever you're getting paid money up front, uh, the people that are giving you money want a reasonable assurance on their investment. Unless they are really looking for something avant-garde or you have a reputation, then I think Did my- Did you ever consider not doing it independently? I don't know even how to do the other thing. Like my <laughs> wife asked me that. She's like, "Are you going to pitch this to people?" And I'm like, "I'm like how? 
Like, where do you go? Do you go to Oz? Like, knock on the door? <laughs> like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't have an agent or anything. Like, everything else I do is by myself. So, and and also, I'm of the belief, I've been around television enough to know that going into a machine with nothing but the will to be a part of the machine is the fastest way for you to make so many compromises you don't like it anymore. Right. Uh, and so the only way, like I'd work with somebody now because now there's an audience for a thing that's me. I think the first note I would have gotten is stop acting like this is a professional wrestling match. Right. And uh, I, would, I wouldn't I would like that. <laughs> you actually have a story about that. I mean, I know the story because I, I listened to you and Brian, but do me a favor and tell everyone that story. about. Oh, so yeah. so – I do the show and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, again, I'm inspired by hardcore history. To me, hardcore history is Dan Carlin doing the most intense history dissertation of all time, right? Like I, I always think that in my mind, I imagine, uh, that, uh, uh, podcast where we're all sitting in this college, you know, it's a tiered, uh, uh, you know, classroom. And then all of a sudden the like, the, the, the lights go down and his gravelly voice just kind of envelops everything. Similar with cocaine and rhinestones where like I imagine that just taking place alternatively in like, you know, a, a honky tonk bar at one o'clock in the afternoon or driving through the rolling hills of Tennessee. And for me, I'm like, OK, well, what's my voice? What do I want people to think of? And. For that, that's very animated. I, I want people to think I initially I. I viewed myself as being like in a bar telling you this story. And sometimes I get so excited that the bartender has to shush me. Right. Like that was my idea. Yeah. I know it, that I literally has had that happen to me and for real. So I know. Yeah. That, I know that so I think that's, well. that, that's a relatable thing. Right. And I want to make it evocative of that because we, anybody who's been in that situation knows those are the best fucking stories. Right. Right. Uh, and, but part of that is me getting animated. Is me getting loud. Because this is also a topic that excites you. And it, it legitimately excites me. So Brian listens to it, and contrary to the first time that he listened to it in the beta phase, he's like, oh my God, this is great. I got a note for you. At the end, just put a little note in the first episode that acknowledges that you're louder than everything else that is in your field. And explain what it is. And and Brian, in, in, in the great labyrinthian marketing world that lives in the skull of Brian Allen Brushwood. He's like, uh, uh, it is, ah, oh, crap. I forgot it already. Cause I'm not as good at this as him. Uh, 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 identify and dismiss. And, and so his, his example was always like in the dollar shave club ad where it's like a dollar a month for razors. They can't be any good. You're right. They're fucking great. Moving on. So Which you've taken, not- not yeah, an answer. <laughs> not an answer. Not an answer. But it it just shows you psychologically how much, like, okay, you're thinking this, whether or not you totally agree with it, whether or not this is your favorite thing in the world. Just me saying what's in your head does a lot to relieve the tension. And so there is a note at the end of the first episode that's basically me explaining, like, hey, look, if you've never heard anything else I've done before, a thank you for getting to the end of the show, and B. Uh, I understand this is a lot louder than other stuff like this. And here's why, because I want to make history feel alive. I want you to judge these people. I want you to fall in love with these people. I want you to fear these people. And I don't think that I can do that. 
either A, in the traditional, you know, history channel narration, and I certainly can't do it in the This American Life NPR, like, ah, I'm constantly surprised kind of narration. And sure enough, you, because you had, you, there's a addendum to that story that Brian was right. Yes, he was. Put out. Yeah. You had put out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I put out the preview, and it's it's a lot of great words, and that's awesome. And but the preview the one, doesn't, the key thing is that the preview doesn't have that tag in it. Does not have that tag in it. The one thing that I got was, you're way too loud. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. That actually, it's like, I've never been happier to hear people talk crap about me because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, ooh, Brian was right. Because if I bet you if I had that tag at the end, that would have brought him closer to the project. Right. Like, there's that weird thing where it's like, if you've ever, like, you know, fallen in love with someone you initially hated, there is, like, that thin line of annoyance and bond. Yes. Okay, so, Justin, Raise the Dead is fantastic. Thank you. Everyone who is listening to this should go listen to Raise the Dead. Um, uh, what, uh, just because uh, we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of stuff. One more time, pitch the podcast to everyone on their way out of here. So sure. they go like that because I want them to I want them to leave this show and go directly to Raise the Dead. I want them to skip an hour of work and go to Raise the Dead. So awesome. pitch them one more time on the podcast. All right. So, you know the basic premise, 1960-2016. Here's why 1960 very specifically rules. Because, as Merrill pointed out, this is the 60th anniversary of the 1960 election. That means that we know literally everything that happened. The personal, the secret, the, the hidden truths, they are all revealed in this show. And you are going to see not only a snapshot of how elections existed. And by the way, we are living, however we feel our current electoral process goes, there is zero question that we are living in the most representative, uh, fair elections that we have ever had in our life. And whether or not you think that that's good now, imagine how bad it is then. Uh, uh, but also, man, uh, uh, fights, feuds, uh, 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 booze-soaked politics, uh, LBJ cursing. There's only one episode that's unsafe for children, and it's because LBJ's in it a lot. Uh, uh, it, it's, it is, is something you're going to feel like you were there. And when you do, you're going to realize, wow, this feels a lot like four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that will do it for this episode. Raise the Dead, available now on all your various podcast devices, iTunes specifically, if you got an iTunes device, uh, uh, yeah, Apple device, an iTunes device. If you can get it on iTunes, just subscribe on iTunes, best case scenario. But other than that, just, you know, download it, do whatever. Justin Robert Edmore, can we find you online besides Raise the Dead? You can find me on Twitter at Justin R. Young, on Instagram at Justin R. Young. And then, of course, my politics podcast, Politics, Politics, Politics. And that's about current stuff. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Merrill Bar, M-E-R-R-I-L-L-B-A-R-R. You can find the Patreon for this show, patreon.com slash War Tetris. This episode went up for free. There's a whole slew of bonus content, dollar an episode, $3 an episode, all sorts of good stuff for each tier. That will do it for this episode, though, and we'll talk to you guys later.